Coming up on this week's Off Screen, the dinos are back in Jurassic World. You know you've been looking forward to it. And we hear from Sir Ian McKellen on the upcoming Mr. Holmes. All that and more to come off screen. This is... This is Off Screen. Off Screen. The latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen, the on-screen radio show and podcast. I'm Van Connor, and I am Case Allen. You are indeed. I am. I certainly am. So, not, not Nick Cage. Not Nick Cage. No, yeah. we proved that in the last London cinema. So, well, before we get to everything we've got this week, we'll just do a uh, quick uh, plug for our uh, Twitter and uh, Facebook crowds. If you want to tweet us, if you want to Facebook us and join in. Our Twitter is a Twitter handle, I believe it is, is at onscreen underscore film and same for facebook really so should we have a look at the uh, the film news for this week because there's a lot been going we on should. oh yeah busy week it has been it's been incredibly yeah. busy it's an awful i thought we didn't have much and then i started looking at it there's a lot mm. happened uh, so of course we have to talk first and foremost about the uh, the, the sad demise of uh, yeah. christopher lee christopher lee infamous horror I, sorry sir christopher sir lee. christopher sir. you keep forgetting that, i keep forgetting yeah. he's a sir of course sir. he was a sir he yeah. was and he was a sir of horror and of the british empire yes sir christopher lee passed away sadly at the age of 93 mm. which is which is good innings very good innings he had quite the life before he even started yeah. to work on film before, it was incredible because because he was well he was it was a it was a counterintelligence uh, was, spy yeah. in world war 2 he was yeah. Ian Fleming's cousin as well did you know that he was yeah before he was Scaramanga before he was yeah, before incredible. he was in a bond movie he was Scaramanga uh was, was loads. i mean he he basically he made his name really in the likes of the hammer horror films mm. Particularly of, uh, I think it was Frankenstein. It was Frankenstein first, and then he signed. Fifty eight. Nineteen fifty eight, I think, around about that time, he signed like a decade long contract, and that got extended. And then, yeah, that got extended, and then some. Yeah, and then he became Dracula. Nineteen seventeen. It went on for twelve years before he became Dracula, and then all the sequels that followed. And in the meanwhile, he was in Bond films and The Wicker Man, of course, which is one of my favorite films of all time. Oh God, who doesn't love The Wicker Man? Summer Isle. Oh, so yeah. good. <laughs> that, that dress. <laughs> but, uh, no, say, Christopher Lee, absolute legend of a horror, of a horror icon. Legend of an actor and an absolute horror icon. Mm. Uh, we have a clip, of course, which pays the ultimate tribute to the man. Uh, this is a recording of Christopher Lee when he received his knighthood in, I believe it was 2011. Here we go. It's what you don't see. And I won't go and see these films now. I, I don't particularly want to. Because everything is shown in gruesome and gory detail and to me that is not the way if I'm a cult figure it's because I survived that's one thing and I'm still working and I've got seven films to come out and I've been in a lot of films some of which were comedies some of which were scary movies and they have become cult movies Christopher Lee there discussing the finer points of modern horror movies and, of course, his own cult status. And, uh, well, <clears throat> rest in peace, good sir. You uh, you did us all a good service. He certainly did. Like I say, we'll never see the likes of his kind again. What an icon. Not for a long, long time. Um... There was one quote I read about him that I really liked, which was, he could make schlock sound like Shakespeare. Oh, that's and wonderful. That, that yeah. really does something up, doesn't it? Um, have you heard about the Peter Jackson... Um, well, Peter Jackson's own tribute was wonderful, as was Sir Ian McKellen's tribute. Yes, I but so. there was a video that was circulating that I think it was done for like the bonus features for one of the Lord of the Ringses. I didn't see Did you hear about I heard, that. I heard of it. What was the story behind it? Um, basically, spoiler alert: Saruman gets stabbed in the back. Oh, that's what happens. I remember this. Yeah. And uh, Peter Jackson was trying to like convey to him how somebody would sound when they get stabbed in the back and so Christopher Lee was like that's not how a man sounds when he gets stabbed in the back he said can you imagine how it sounds and Christopher Lee says I don't have to imagine no, I've heard that one. <laughs> Which is the most badass thing I think I've ever heard. It, it is fantastic, isn't it? Oh, well, we'll say we'll never see the likes of, uh, of oh, that kind certainly of Certainly not. So, uh, well, of course, Ron Moody also passed away this week. Yeah, Fagan. Fagan, sadly, Fagan yeah. from Oliver passed away, age 91 as well. Mm, well he, very good innings, yeah. Christopher Lee was 93, Ron Moody was 91. 
Yes, again, good innings. Mm-hmm. But what else we got in the meanwhile? Matthew Vaughan, the director, of, well, co-director and uh, co-writer and director of uh, Kingsman: The Secret Service, has confirmed that he is working on the script for a sequel, mm. and he may direct it as well. He may. I think he will. I think he'll be tempted back. I think if we can avoid Kick-Ass Two territory, because yes. it went it went far too cartoony, and I, I think Kingsman it's all about that perfectly balanced tone. Mm. You don't want to go too. It was on far. the right side of a line. Absolutely, it was, yeah. and it's like, like Kickass was. Kickass mm. was on the perfect side of the line, and then Kickass Two just 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 went Where barreling over. And... Can't even see the line anymore. Can't so, see the line. That line, the line quote, is a quote, dot you, to yeah, you. Yeah, the line is a dot to you. <laughs> <laughs> so, in uh, in a full on case of the swapsies, uh, well, The Martian and uh, Victor Frankenstein <clears throat> have uh, shifted their release date. Done the old switcheroo. Done the old switcheroo. Mm. So, um, The Martian is now going to be opening this year on October second, and it's traded place with Victor Frankenstein which was in that slot Victor Frankenstein will now open on on November 25th opposite the Good Dinosaur so hmm. have you got some news about Good Dinosaur the, the cast list has been unveiled yeah. we didn't have time to add it to the list do you okay. know it though um, I know that Steve Zahn is in it <laughs> Steve Zahn is in it we'll, yeah. dig it we'll dig it up for later on in the show Steve Zahn and Anna Paquin other people we'll, well. D- we'll dig it up we'll for later it up, on we'll the show so in the meanwhile oh Joe Carnahan I love this news Joe oh, Carnahan yes. has been approached to write and direct Bad Boys 3 mm. to take over from Michael Bay now first of all yes let's get Michael Bay away from Bad Boys and let's bring in Joe Carnahan because that is yeah. a brilliant meeting of director and subject I think. It really is. Can, yeah. can you imagine how that would play I mean I'd, I'd like a sort of grittier more raw Bad Boys I would also like more of the comedy back Mm. from the first movie because that's something the second movie for me really lacked it wasn't anywhere near as funny it wasn't it was about 10% comedy as opposed to the sort that's of 60% it, yeah. comedy of the of the first one. Mm. I think he can also bring that level of humour. Because you Did you watch uh, Stretch? That's what I was going to suggest. Yeah, yeah Stretch. I really enjoyed Stretch. I did as well. There, yeah. were, there were things to, things about it that really, really worked. Mm. Um, it, there were some things that didn't, but there were things about it. Yeah. I love the Hoff cameo in it. Yeah, that works especially that, that, well. That did work really, really <laughs> well. So what else we got then? Oh, right. Um, this is a strange one for you. Right. In Go order on, to... Me. In order to promote the reboot of the upcoming two thousand, well, the upcoming uh, Fantastic Four movie, Twentieth mm. Century Fox have removed all traces of the two thousand five original Fantastic Four and Fantastic Four: Rise of the Silver Surfer from iTunes and Amazon. <laughs> now, starting fresh. This comes after the sort of this. You know, for the last few months, we've had a thing about Marvel are trying to excise the Fantastic Four from their mm. library, from their marketing. Yeah. In order to not promote a film they don't own the rights to. So it seems that Fox are beating them to the punch. Yeah. Yeah, make of that one what you will. And Uwe Ball. we got to talk about Uwe Ball. <laughs> Have we got to talk about Uwe Ball? <laughs> you've, you've got to. What a legend of a man Uwe Ball's been. You've got to respect him, you really. Do. <laughs> Uwe Ball this week took to YouTube to send out a rant aimed at his own fan base for not... For not uh, successfully funding his yes. Kickstarter campaign to produce, is it Rampage Three? It's called it's something. I haven't seen rubbish I haven't like seen that. One or two. Have you seen one or two? Uh, I've not seen one or two, and I think if three ever gets made, I don't think you'll need to have seen one or two to understand what's going on. Oh, no, wait, okay, let, let me get into this. Because the rant is where he he levels he levels his anger at his entire fan base. He tells them mm. to go blank themselves. And uh, then fill in that word by yourselves. Fill kids. in that word by yourselves. Here's a hint: it isn't cuddle. And, uh, he then he, he makes some very sweeping generalizations about the state of film in general. He specifically right. tells them, "Wake up, people! <clears throat> Iron Man is not real. Captain America is not real." <laughs> okay, Ugh. yes, but neither are your movies, Uwe. And uh, my, my real my real favorite point is he then says, out of spite, that he's going to go and make the film anyway. In which case. Why even do the Kickstarter project in the first place? Exactly. If he if can, you can go fund and, it, if you can go and do it out of spite. But he also says, like, I don't need to be doing this. I could be playing golf for the rest of my life. I'm thinking, if you can afford to do that, make the damn film. Mm. But eh, it's Uwe Ball. What fuck you say? This man is just a mental case. Where does he live? Like, I, just... I, I don't know. I, I, I where, where is he, where is his head? <laughs> I like to imagine that Uwe Ball lives in a cabin. On, isolated on the top of a very tall mountain, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he just spends his days like you know, uh, shirtless, tracking bears, barehanded in the woods, 
punching know, bears in punching the face. Punching bears in the face. If a bear says would. something negative about one of his films, <laughs> he, he smacks him down. <laughs> exactly. How dare you? Postal was amazing. It's misunderstood. <laughs> I've never seen Postal. I've never seen Postal 2. I have no desire to. I've seen... What's the one that had Statham in it? Uh, in the name, in the name of, of the a king. king, yeah. Is it a dragon siege tale or something? Some ridiculous There's then a title, sequel yeah. with Dolph Lundgren, yes. which involves time travel, I believe. But uh, I've not seen that one enough. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> so, a third Pitch Perfect film is coming. Yeah, are you, is... are you excited about that? Uh, no, not really. Well, because but... you, you really enjoyed the first one, and then the second one... I tuned out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, did you get around to <laughs> the second one? Uh, I tried to watch it the other day, and... Um... <laughs> Yeah, just nod off. I did just nod off. <laughs> it's not that. I don't think it's not off. Yeah, I was watching a lot of films that particular day, so I'll, okay. I'll go back. I'm not going to judge you. Um, <laughs> so as I said, the third one is coming. Uh, Kay Cannon, who has written the first two, she's due to come back for the uh, for the third as well. Mm. So whether or not Elizabeth Banks will remains to be seen because we have Elizabeth Banks news to come up later. Ah. Uh, in the meanwhile, oh, the release date for London has fallen. The Olympus Has Fallen sequel, London Has Fallen. That's quite the teaser poster, isn't it? Oh god, yeah. Did you know did you know they put out the teaser poster for Olympus Has Fallen, which has a massive shot of Big Ben mm. being destroyed. They put that out the same day as the general election results. Yes, I did know that. Yeah, which is the greatest yeah. marketing statement you could ever make. <laughs> That's exactly what I said to my fiance, actually. <laughs> they put out a poster yeah. of Big Ben being blown up with London has fallen written on it. <laughs> put it out on the same day as the general election. Oh. I'm saying nothing. But London Has Fallen has been pushed back from uh, this fall uh, to January next year. It's going to be out in January now. Mm. Um, it was due on October 2nd, the same day as The Martian and the uh, Robert Zemeckis film The Walk. The Walk, yeah. That's, that's interesting. Those two. Very, uh... It's really interesting that Martian is coming out on that particular day. Do you know why? Go for it. Because two years previous on that date, was when Gravity was yes, released. Yes, this has been pointed out. They are yeah. hoping for a bit of that Gravity one. It seems to really be are. on similar terrain, the, the concept. It's getting some really positive buzz. Hmm. Just from that trailer. I'm intrigued. I mean, I, Ridley Scott's due a great film. He is He's due, overdue. Due He's yeah. overdue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the San Andreas fault, it's just overdue. <laughs> it's, it's not a case of, of, of if, it's a case of when. Yeah. Yeah. When the film hits, who do we call? Everybody. <laughs> Right. Uh, okay, one final piece of news before we go to the box office. Well, before we go to uh, box office top ten and the rest of the show. Uh, according to Mark Wahlberg, Michael Bay will be returning to direct Transformers <laughs> Five. Do, do we celebrate Yay. this news? I'm confused. Is it positive news? Is it negative? I don't know. I I don't know. No, it's it's not it's not positive for me. Get get a joke on him. Get him to do all the Michael Bay projects. I think that'd be a great. Idea. Let's just champion even joke even for, even the current film that Michael Bay is doing. Even thirteen hours, kick him off a film. I think so. Do you know what's happening? I think we should do to Michael Bay what's inevitably going to happen to Micah Monroe, which is when Micah Monroe is going to be announced for something, everyone shows up and says, no, no, get Mae Whitman. I think I think people should do it with Michael Bay. Everyone turns up, no, 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 get Joe Carnahan. Yep. <laughs> that should happen. He'll do a better job. Right, so, uh, interview time, uh, because Mr. Holmes is due for release this next week. Uh, the latest film from uh, director Bill Condon, who brought us Gods and Monsters, and yep. I believe the last two Twilight films as uh, well. Yes, and also uh, bringing us uh, the live-action version of Beauty and the Beast. He is, well. and uh, I have a theory about that with Mr. Holmes, because Mr. because Ian McKellen is in Beauty and the Beast as and well. And he's in Gods and Monsters. I feel and like they have a bit of a... There is a bit of a thing. Yeah. I, I have a feeling about uh, about why uh, Bill Condon's doing Beauty and the Beast after, after Mr. Holmes. Okay. Uh, I have seen Mr. Holmes. We will be reviewing it next week. Mm. Um, and I, I have mainly positive things to say about it, to be oh, fair. Good. And Ian McKellen's absolutely superb in it. Um, and, uh, well, we have an interview with him here. Uh, James Kleiman has uh, gotten to sit down with Ian McKellen and talk to him about taking on the role of Sherlock. Yes, I wish I could remember when I first met Sherlock. Probably, you know, on the page, probably, reading the stories. And then probably on the radio, because I'm the last generation who didn't have television as a kid, you know. The Sherlock that made a huge impact on me, because I thought it was uh, so original but so believable, was uh, Jeremy Brett on television with um, Edward Hardwick as Dr Watson. But, you know, as many of us, I mean, Sherlock Holmes has always been there. I, I can't really remember the time I met him. Mm. And what's different about the Sherlock who we get to see in, in this film, in Mr Holmes? Well, uh, this is a Sherlock Holmes who said, I never wore a deerstalker. I, I never spoke to 
pipe. I much prefer a cigar. And uh, Sherlock is saying that uh, the stories by Dr. Watson weren't necessarily the truth of the matter. And that's the point of this story, is that the, the last case that he solved, he believes 30 years on that he didn't really solve it at all, and now he does want to solve it. So you're, it's, uh, Sir Sherlock Holmes is considerably older than, than other Mr. Holmes's, um, 93 at some point during our film, and uh, a man beginning to lose his faculties and, and worried about that, and a man beginning to discover his humanity. So uh, it's a Sherlock Holmes that's not quite as we expect him to be and, and who, by the end of the film, has turned himself into a rather nicer person. It's a rather optimistic film. And how did you find that experience of playing him at, in his 60s and in his 90s? And Did one sort of inform the other? As it, as it well, that's a nice know. puzzle, isn't it? It's showing off, frankly. You know, I'm old at one point, and then I'm less old at another point. <laughs> and uh, they're done on different days, so they feel like slightly different uh, characters. And uh, it, was, it, was thr- it was thrilling doing the younger homes, uh, the man of the height of his powers, skipping and jumping along the streets of London, and, and London looking as it must have done at the time, with horses and carriages and oh, top hats and everything. Absolutely thrilling. And then the, the other more uh, contemplative homes uh, at the end of his life, living in the countryside overlooking the south coast, filmed last summer when it was beautifully sunny. It was a blissful job, really, but such fun to do two different sorts of homes. Yeah. And there's a heartwarming friendship, isn't there, um, at the centre of the film with, with the young boy. Roger, yes, played yeah. by Milo, Milo Parker. What did you enjoy about... I know he was a Gandalf fan, as he mentioned, in Berlin, but what did you enjoy about <laughs> creating that relationship with him? We didn't get very close. In fact, we had a working relationship, you know, two actors. If I'm working on a film, I'm very much in the character. I'm, I'm not saying I, I, I can't be myself, but I'm aware that we're filming and there's a job to be done, so there's not much to chat, you know. But, uh, my goodness, what a good performance. And uh, very easy to relate to and uh, a very friendly, bright lad, yeah. And how about uh, Laura Linney, brilliant oh. in the film as Mrs Monroe? Well, uh, Laura, I, I've never worked with before and I've admired her, particularly in, in Bill Condon movies, Bill Condon, our director. So often I, I just am gobsmacked by what actors can do and she comes over here, she's an American, and there she's doing a quite specific... British regional accent and you think, well I couldn't do that I couldn't do the reverse of that and her technique in front of the camera uh, there's lots about filming that uh, is, is fun for me because I, I am just fascinated by it, the whole business of, of making films and putting on plays and when I get the opportunity to be up close against experts who are doing it so well and in a film you can more easily observe than you can on stage if you're on stage with another actor then you're acting but you know there will be time when the close up is on Laura and, and the cameras here and I'm behind the camera so I'm allowed to observe and, and be objective and that was great fun and, and, and I was allowed to have some old friends in it, Roger Allen was the doctor and uh, Frankie Barber plays a hilarious little bit of <laughs> Holmesiana and uh, Francis de la Tour and uh, David Fox. Uh, yeah, wonderful. And you mentioned Bill Condon, of course. There are some similarities between this and your last collaboration with him, Gods and Monsters, aren't there, in terms of it being sort of an older man haunted by his past, also yes, sort of looking, looking back. Yes, but Bill, Bill's movies swing between uh, the outrageously uh, popular Twilight Dream Girl Chicago and uh, the introspective and uh, social-minded uh, Bill who is interested in how people tick and... Yes, Gods and Monsters, that really was a career changer for me. I, I played the leading part in a film, and uh, it was well-received, and, uh, and Bill helped me through it every inch of the way. So when he said, can we do another film? I didn't really read it. I said, yes, of course. But that it was Mr Holmes, oh, that really good part. And, and there are similarities, yes, but uh, this is its own film. James Kleiman there with Sir Ian McKellen, and Mr Holmes is out next week when we'll be reviewing it. So shall we uh, move on to the box office top ten before we let's take a do break? It. Let's then. move swiftly on. Number ten. Moving down to uh, number ten, we have uh, the Lake Bell, Simon Pegg starring film Man Up. Did you get to see this in the end? I still haven't. seen You still it. haven't seen it because you're yeah. quite a fan of Lake Bell, aren't you? I really am. Which I'm not. I'm the opposite. I'm, hmm. I'm just. I find her very. I'm kind of surprised. Her. I, I thought you. I thought you would. I thought you would like her. I'm very vacuous oh. and shallow. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
I like because she's a really good writer and director as well. Oh, yes, like that. <laughs> but no, Man Up, um, which I did think was quite <clears throat> funny. I did think it was very funny. Um, I did think, though, that Sharon Horgan, who plays the older sister, would have been better off in the lead role. Mm. Um, Simon Pegg is on bizarrely Hugh Grant-esque territory here, and he is going for that Hugh Grant-style performance, that <laughs> charmingly... So affably British. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's just so lovable. Mm. You know, that sort of, a, sort of a gimmick. But Rory Kinnear owns that film. It is all about Rory Kinnear for me. Yeah. He, he owned the film with a, I would say, relatively small but, but fully intrinsic uh, and highly comedic performance uh, sort of character. Yeah. I liked it. Number nine. Straight at number nine, a uh, brand new entry. It is uh, Dil Dakani Do. Number eight. Back of a Vengeance. <laughs> and, and then some. And then some. Have you, have you heard about this this film? It's um, a little known film. Little known film. Small, small like independent uh, flick, uh, The Empire Strikes Back. Which is, of course, is back in the top ten because of Secret Cinema. Secret Cinema have been running this as an event, <clears throat> one of their immersive cinema experiences. Mm. What have they done for this one? Do you know? Because when they did the Back to the Future one, they actually built a section of Hill Valley. I don't know the specifics, um, but I feel like they, they might have just like built Moss Eisley or something. They, they might not have just rented out one of the escape snow domes and said, let's just do half. Let's do half, yeah. <laughs> let's do half. Everyone sit in the snow, we'll watch the film. <laughs> There's some store troopers walking around. Get a camel, pretend it's a tonton. Yeah, just... <laughs> <laughs> I thought they smelled bad on the outside. <laughs> Number seven. Moving down, sadly, um, I really love this film. Small Land, A World Beyond. Did you really love this one? I did. Okay, we are on the same page then. Yeah, I go, I go back to it every week I think about it I'll, I'll read something about it and I'll be like yeah man I'm, I'm on board I, I like it I mean it has gotten a panning and again it comes up in the film news later mm. um, I think it, it's upbeat it's adventurous it's fun it's got a little bit of whimsy to it yeah. it's visually captivating it is yeah. um, I think there is less to it than the marketing implied yeah, but it is all about tone, and it is all about it's adventure. about wonder and joy. Exactly, yeah. it's about wonder and joy. And you know what? If if I think they should have advertised more on that, rather than hinting <clears throat> that there was something bigger to come. Hmm. And uh, I mean, I, on a marketing level, it's failed, but as a film, I think it's very successful. And I, I think Clooney and Britt Robertson, and particularly Raphael Cassidy as the young girl, oh, are great. She was a star of the show, yeah, for me, definitely. And of course, Keegan Michael Key. Getting the best actually, entrance. yeah, co-star of the show, co-star of the show <laughs> yeah. for having the best entrance in any film until Harrison Ford shows up. Yeah, in until December. Yeah. Until December. Number six. Moving down again uh, to number six. Uh, Age of Ultron. Uh, have we said everything there is to say on this subject? There's nothing else that we can say, I don't think. Uh, good, not great. Uh, one um, for the fans only. Not yeah. a particularly good self-contained it's, film. It's building. It's a, it's a chess piece it's film. a mid-season two-parter rather than a season finale. It's... Vision owns it. Vision owns it, even though he shouldn't, and only shows up in the last half hour, mm. and then takes all the narrative arcs for some reason. But we'll see him a lot more in Civil War. Yeah. yeah. We can't say anything else. Number five. I heard Pitch Perfect 2. <laughs> Do you want to take this one? Really fantastic opening 30 seconds. Really great. <laughs> I, you know what? I'll go with that. It does have a great opening 30 seconds. I particularly like the cameo by way of archive footage of the Obamas. But uh, un- unfortunately, it does seem... It is, a, it is a victim of its own success, Pitch Perfect, I think. Mm. Because the, fil- the first one had been such a surprise, because it took so many mm. clichés but spun them around through the power of sharp dialogue and really biting humour. What they've done this time is, do you know what, let's go for the same thing, but then they've forgotten to put that sharp dialogue in it. They've forgotten to put the wit that made Pitch Perfect in there. And what you have instead is a checklist of who can we make mm. fun of quite mercilessly now. Oh, look, we haven't made a joke about black people for ten minutes, so let's get those two sarcastic judges in here and they can do that. And oh, okay, now we'll go after winning, and then we'll okay, <clears> and then we'll go to Jewish people. And it is, it is that checklist of what race, what race, what gender can mm. we target next? And I mean, even to the extent of um, Rebel Wilson's character, yeah, who was always sort of a mold-breaking figure in the first film anyway, because she played on the stereotype quite nicely. Here, it's a very wasted character, and she has basically become the sort of figure that a lot of the naysayers have always said she is, hmm. which I found quite disappointing. Do you think in the follow-up, her character will get bigger as well? I feel like she'll become more of a focus, to be honest. I think Anna Kendrick might... I mean, I, I've not seen the rest of the film, so I don't know how... I think Hayley Steinfeld will be the star of the sequel. Oh, do you reckon? <laughs> I think that's why she's been dumped into this film. Hayley Steinfeld will be the lead in the third one, I okay. think. But uh, I don't know. I mean, time will tell. I mean, do, does this mean we get to see more of Katie Seagal? I wonder. But maybe because that was a nice little cameo. 
Number four. Moving down, uh, one of the best action films for quite you, a while. You were a fan of this. I was a big fan. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road. What's not to love? It is fast, it's furious, it's faster and furious fast than Fast and Furious. And furious. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's got Tom Harney doing a pretty good Mel Gibson standing there, sort of there. It's got it doesn't say a lot, so it's, doesn't say it's great. <laughs> it's like 16 lines or something. It's something it. like that, I'm yeah. sure someone's toted it up. But um, Charlize Theron, so good in this. Mm. So, so good. But anyway, this is a movie in which you can even turn around and say, do you know what, Rosie Huntington Whiteley was really good in that film. <laughs> do we do that? Yeah. Yes. How, how weird was. is that to say out loud? The love interest from Transformers 3 is actually pretty good in this movie. <laughs> I completely blacked out that she was in <laughs> Zoe Kravitz is also in it, if you weren't paying attention. Yeah, she's good. Uh, Nick Holt. Nick Holt as well. Really good. Who I really liked. And, uh, what, a day. what a lovely, lovely, lovely day. day. <laughs> Shiny and chrome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But no, it's a very, very fast-paced, very sort of, I would say, on the edge of your seat, engrossing kind of a ride. Mm. And it is a ride. That's the best way to describe it. It's a ride with weird bits of philosophy thrown in. Weird yeah. character arcs in there. Real survivalist apocalyptic end-of-the-world stuff. And it all means something, which is bizarre nowadays. Yeah. A lot a lot of love and a lot of work has gone into it. You can, and it you can see it on the screen. Yeah, it definitely shows. It helps the, all those practical effects, you know, I think. Yeah, listen up, Jurassic World. <laughs> listen up, J- JW. You saying JP? Listen up, JW. Number three, brand new. I thought this might have been a little bit higher. Uh, chapter three of Insidious. Ah, yes, Insidious chapter three. Well, I mean, you look at what's above it, I think it's quite uh, obvious why oh, yeah. it didn't get uh, number one. Mm. But uh, no, Insidious chapter three, which is uh, definitely one of my favorite, well, probably my favorite of the Insidious uh, movies. It works as a self-contained supernatural mystery horror movie. And I like that about it. It has, in a way that this week's uh, big release does, it acknowledges the the existing, the outside franchise offhandedly and quite cleverly. Mm. It doesn't ram it down your throat. It doesn't pull a George Lucas where every, everything needs to be in there. Oh, look, this microwave is eventually going to become the key component of the Death Star. None of that <laughs> nonsense. Um, it, it's all quite subtle and it is all about the self-contained film and I really liked it really sort of creepily and effectively directed by Lee Winnell who's making his sort of debut behind the camera here he's, co-written, he's written and directed this one uh, having just been involved in less capacity on the others and uh, I, I really enjoyed it I thought it was really effective and it really worked Number two You're looking forward to this aren't you? Now what will we do? We rebuild We rebuild <laughs> San Andreas. San Andreas, there we go, San Andreas. Now, you and I had the pleasure of seeing this together <laughs> this last week. Um, which, oh. What do you do when you got an afternoon off? Go to the IMAX screen. You go watch The Rock. You go, go watch, the, watch rock. the Rock in IMAX. And, right, so obviously I've said my piece on which I think it's a really solid, engaging, 90 throwback disaster movie without any of the hmm. annoying sort of added frills which just don't need to be there. What about yourself? Um, yeah, pretty much the same. You don't need the science with this film, do you? you don't. <laughs> Who are we going to call? Everybody. <laughs> yeah, you need Paul Giamatti to do that. Paul, like, you don't need whisper, science. Yeah, you don't, need, don't need science. You just need Paul Giamatti. You just need Paul Giamatti to do that. And uh, man, he's got some. He's got a very like collective collection of films coming out this year, hasn't he? He really has. Yeah, but yeah, San Andreas. I I really really enjoyed it. Maybe more than I should have, but yeah, it was it was a nice Monday afternoon off. Definitely. Definitely, I, I I thought it was. I think the third act is just absolutely deranged. I think it's fantastic. The last line, the very last line. Yes, the very last line of this film. That that's how you end a film. Yeah. Yes. Number one. Straight in with a bullet, spy. Literally with a bullet. With a bullet. Yeah. <laughs> so spy. Now you you quite enjoyed this, didn't you? Um. I yeah. I did. For the most part. For the did. most part. Yeah. Without getting into it like we did last week, I liked it. Stay from steals the show. Could have done with a little less Peter Sefranowitz, which I thought was something I would never say in my life because I love Peter Sefranowitz. Same here. Yeah, it's it's fine. I'm not a big Paul Feig fan, but yeah, it was it, no. was, it was funny. It was funny. With the exception of the Paul Feig comment, I agree with literally everything you just said. Okay. No, I quite like Paul Feig, um, mm. although I read something he said about Ghostbusters 3, which concerns me somewhat, but... Uh... I'll get into that another time. Um, no, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I laughed so much more than I expected to. Um, I think Melissa McCarthy uh, really does know how to work her shtick in the hands of Paul Fe- uh, Feig. Feig, 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 Feig. Feig. Knows how to work her shtick quite effectively with Paul Feig. And the pair in tandem do- can solidly craft a film. 
for me. I, I think I'm personally, I think this is one of the better action comics. Maybe I will need to give it a second watch. Maybe because just just personally for me, these can form sometimes. I have to watch them a couple of times. I mean, for me, a, com- a great compliment to play it to, to pay it is that I came out of the cinema and thought, do you know what? I really want to watch The Heat again. Because that's oh, how much yeah. I thought. Actually, yeah, it was a real good fun time. But I want to keep this sort of good time thing going. I want to go home and watch the heat. But it makes you think of a different film. It does a little bit. Mm. Oh, well, damning praise. <laughs> With the latest film news and reviews, this is off screen. So we're back, and we should probably plug our competitions this week. If you're not aware, you can uh, pop along to onscreenfilm.com, and we have a whole section for competitions. You can go in, enter, and win a variety of prizes. This week, well, the big prize what is... What have we got? Uh, well, we've got uh, prizes to tie in with next week's release of the one and only... Entourage movie. Entourage is finally a positive. I'm a big fan of Entourage, the series. Did you did you ever watch Entourage? Uh, I actually watched a pilot last week. You watched the pilot last week. Are you, are you yeah. trying to get through it all before you get to the film? Um, get through a chunk. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna end up seeing the film before you're gonna watch the film dry. Eh? Because I've got four of a series I'm currently watching. I don't want to take anything else on fully before. And I yeah, so. <laughs> that's fair enough. So it's a shame there's not a West Wing movie coming. Otherwise, you'd be in, in good stead. I oh think. Oh my god, but, yeah. <laughs> no, I am an entourage fan. I have seen the movie. We will be reviewing it next week. But if you go along to onscreenfilm.com, go in our competition section. We do have. <laughs> Entourage goodie bags to give away, and uh, well, these are uh, they're quite intriguing goodie bags. They uh, what do you they, what do you get in them? Well, they, you come with a gym bag, um, a t-shirt, sports water bottle, uh, tank top for the ladies as well. Ladies, uh, set of entourage sort of drinks coasters. Okay, and, uh, yeah. So onscreenfilm.com, get entering. So should we uh, should we do some more film news before we uh, before we get to the reviews? Then? I think we have to. There's so yeah. much to get through. The thing we've only got one film this week. We've got a load <laughs> of news. Film news. Yeah. <laughs> so hateful eight. Have you heard about yeah. the release of this? Um, I've heard about the release date and the format. Yes, yeah. this is very interesting. So if you're not aware, this is Quentin Tarantino's upcoming sort of Magnificent Seven-esque western, mm. The Hateful Eight. It's going to be released on Christmas Day this year in 70mm format. Mm. So this is old school film it's being released. It is, yeah. And then it will be released on traditional, well, now traditional digital. Yeah. How weird is that to say? <laughs> but we're like? now saying that... Uh... We're now saying normal, standard, digital. So <laughs> it'll be in regular cinemas. Uh, on January the 8th on, of 2016. So January 8th, 2016 in regular cinemas. But if you want to see it a little bit earlier, find a cinema that shows 70 millimeters, which... Maybe uh, in, in London in somewhere, in London, yeah. is, is there not... Does Bradford not uh, do that as well? I don't know, I think maybe, Bradford yeah. might do it. But if you know a cinema that does 70 millimeters as well, Get you the, can see it on Christmas Because the term, in the States, Quentin Tarantino is, like, personally... Or his people are, like, retrofitting certain his cinemas. His people. His people. <laughs> Tarantinites? Tarantinites. Oh, I like that. Oh, yes. <laughs> we just call them Tarantinos. Quentbots? That doesn't work Quentbots? so well. No, Tarantinites. Okay. Tarantinites. So, uh, this is Ghostbusters news. We, you and I love this one, don't we? Oh, I'm a fan of us. So, this is this is the news that since they've gender-flipped the Ghostbusters this time around, they are now women instead of men. Well, of course, there is one other integral character hmm. that has also been gender-flipped. And here's a hint. It's not Slimer. Well, the character they have chosen to gender flip is the role of the Ghostbusters secretary, whom Annie Potts played uh, Janine in the original yes. two movies. Uh, she has now been, but uh, that's now been changed around. This is going to be Chris Hemsworth as the Ghostbusters put upon secretary. So, what do you make of this one, Case? Um, well, I I sort of predicted this Did a you while think... ago. Did you? Um, not that it was going to be Hemsworth, but I predicted that they were going to gender swap the secretary. Did you and say... I said it was going to be Bill Hader. Which I think would have been great. Yes, but I am, yeah, definitely for Chris Hemsworth. Just on the, on the fact that that vacation trailer. He, yeah, yeah, he looks like he's really, he's he looks really like he can do comedy. Like, yeah, he? oh, definitely, yeah. Because also he's got like kind of that great balance between uh, deadpan and unfunny. Well, I think he, he can do his... deadpan quite well. Oh, definitely. I think that he has some of the best uh, kind of like uh, comedic performances in the Avengers. I was going to say that yeah. he, he's he he can play the comedic stuff in the because of the deadpan nature. He does the comedic stuff in Avengers mm. really, really, really well. well yeah. um, particularly the first Thor movie. <laughs> what this string? I like it. Yeah. Or oh, the horse. The horse. The horse. The horse. Oh. Things like the horse. He does that one, really one well. One big enough to ride. <laughs> but I watched uh, Black Hat this week uh, for the first time since its theatrical release, and because it was on the iPad, and I will admit I was watching it in the gym. And you wouldn't think a Michael Mann movie would work on a cross trainer, but strangely enough, it does. <laughs> and I really enjoyed Black Hat the second time around, even though it's over-directed to hell, 
we do not need to see how an entire cash point process works. But, uh, yeah. you know, I'll go with it. But yes, Chris Hemsworth, I do like him. Can't wait to see him in Ghostbusters 3, or whatever it's going to be called. They've not released a title. They've not released yet. a title. It's going to be. It's not going to be Ghostbusters three. No, it's not because it's a complete reboot. It's not going to be Ghostbusters three. Yeah, Puffig is saying it's it's its own entity. Yeah. So speaking of formats with uh, Tarantino, by the way, we should mm. talk about Star Wars Episode eight, which oh, yeah. uh, Ryan Johnson has revealed he's not going to be shot digitally or on IMAX. This is going that to is, be shot. That's interesting. On old school thirty five millimeter film, mm. which wow, that one came out of nowhere. Because what's episode seven? What's Force Awakens been shot on? It's a bit of both, isn't it? It's a mixture of both. To the point where J.J. Abrams even tweeted pictures of the IMAX cameras. Well, that, that's yeah, that's why we, we've, we've put the picture on our uh, site. So we've seen an IMAX camera being used for yeah. it. But uh, this seems to be the done thing, combining the two at the moment. We've got Captain America Civil War is going to be an experiment for it the is, new yeah. IMAX cameras. And then I believe it's Infinity Wars is going to be the first film shot completely on yeah. IMAX with these Entirely. new cameras. Hmm. But in the meanwhile, Star Wars Episode Eight, a mix, it's going to be all the it's going back. Yeah, yeah, this is. We uh... see the tone that it's going for, or even like some of the locations. Yeah, I'm very uh, interested about that. Yeah, but uh, okay, so uh, Fox Animation have bought the rights to the well, apparently very acclaimed uh, webcomic series Nimona. Have you heard hmm. about this? I've not. No, I didn't know. This. I had to ask Calvin about it because Calvin's more plugged into what I would describe as youthful culture than I am, <laughs> uh, being that he is what a decade younger than me, and uh, he said it's very popular with girls his age. Okay. Which, having seen it, I'm confused because it's, it's quite an old, it looks <clears> like old school French animation. You know, the French animation of the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Almost Moomin like, I would describe okay. it as. Mm. And this is about a young girl who is a shapeshifter who teams up with a disgraced knight. And yeah, that, that one could be interesting. It's going to be an animated feature from Fox, who apparently took part in a bit of a bidding war for it as mm. well. It, apparently, it's that popular. A fox going to like adhere to that same style of animation? Who knows? I mean, I've got money on it turning out computer animated in this day well, and age, but because <laughs> why release something in hand drawn animation? <laughs> so uh, okay, oh Elizabeth Banks, we hinted at this earlier. We should talk about this. Elizabeth Banks mm. is in negotiations to direct <laughs> Red Queen, which is going yeah. to be a new Universal produced young adult adaptation series. She's got some form with YA material, hasn't she? Well, yes. Yeah. But, uh, Red Queen, that weirdly sounds like the young adult version of Gattaca. Yes. In which there's a sci-fi society determined by people's blood types. Bloodline, yeah. Uh, like, I think, Red blood and silver blooded. Yeah, this yeah. seems to be the colour of your blood determines like, the cast that you live in, etc. Which is, it's Gattaca for tweens, it sounds like. Yeah. It's another, like, faction kind of... <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. It's... Is it me, or is there a real push to try and get the teenage crowd to segregate themselves? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Put them in a maze. <laughs> Put them in a maze. They can fend for themselves. Although, there are there are some real issues with uh, the Maze Runner, if you ask me. Uh, namely the fact it seems to have been intentionally designed for a porn parody. If you ever look at the concept of that movie, it's been designed for a very specific kind of porn parody. <laughs> Seriously, sit and think about yeah. it. It's there. You, you can even piece together the title of it. If you try hard enough. What's next on movie news, man? <laughs> on the movie news. <laughs> Moving swiftly um, on. Marvel are apparently edging closer to signing Chiwetel Ejiofor mm. as the villain for Doctor Strange because it's been uh, been revealed that he would be playing Bar- uh, Baron, Baron Mordo. Mordo. Yeah. Baron, I always want to say Baron Mondo. Baron Mordo. <laughs> Mondo. Who, of course, is trained with uh, Stephen Strange. Yes. Under the tutelage of the character that we now know is going to be played by Tilda Swinton. And, the of course, ancient one. the ancient one. Yeah. But, of course, Baron Mordo. Mordo Mordo. Mordo. I keep saying Mordor. Don't say Mordor. Don't Different, say Mordor. different franchise. <laughs> Mordo. Uh, he, of course, turns to the dark side and, and mm. becomes the antagonist. Yeah. But apparently it's not going to be as clear cut. It's not going to be as, as black that. and white as that, yeah. So, interesting. I wonder if he's going to be uh, Might be like a, a Loki kind of... Yeah. Quite we need a new Loki type, I think, at this point in the, and he's, in the universe. And he's a fantastic actor, he isn't is. he? Yeah. But, uh, okay, that, so, that cast is coming together. It is, it really is. I'm, I'm yeah. waiting to see uh, if, if there's if there's a love interest attached at any point because I'd be intrigued if they do a Marvel yeah. movie that doesn't have a love interest. I, would be I think this this could be the one. This, this could, could be, it. be yeah. So the Equalizer two, we kind of knew this was coming. <laughs> Denzel's first franchise. Were you a fan of the Equalizer? 
Oh, I was. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? Uh, I was a fan of the, like, Home hardcore. Depot. <laughs> yeah, Home Depot, Home Alone. Exactly. Right. It's Skyfall in B&Q. Yeah. <laughs> so, now the Equalizer 2 has an official release date now, September 29th, 2017. Denzel Washington is signed up to headline the new sequel. He's going to be back I can't wait for this. Who's who's in the chair? Who's directing it? No announcement yet. I'm hoping Antoine Fuqua returns. I'm, I'm a big fan of Fuqua. Yeah, and they they're big fans of each other. I think. I think they are because they did. Uh, they've got uh, Magnificent Seven before that as well. Yeah. Together. Oh, what a cast that's turned out to be. It really is. Oh. Although we know Jason Momoa turned that down because apparently he's got better things to do. Mm. Something fishy about that one. <laughs> yeah. oh, awful fun. Awful fun. fun. So okay, let's see what else we got. Oh, Tomorrowland is on schedule to be the biggest flop for Disney since The Lone Ranger. They're estimating a loss of a hundred and forty. Million dollars. What do you make of this one? Is it the death of the? Well, it's not as bad as John Carter. (laughs) It's not. No, I noticed that John Carter hasn't really been mentioned in the same breath. It's always since the Lone Ranger. Since the Lone Ranger. Since three years ago. Yeah. No, it it doesn't make me feel good about original uh, filmmaking for Disney. Um, I'm not going to go into it too much, but obviously. When when Disney started doing live action projects years and years and years and years and years ago mm. in the fifties, they were all about similar kind of subject matter, all about hope and wonder and the human condition and now they've done new it things. again and it doesn't work. And now it does again, it doesn't work, so we're just going to reboot a bunch of stuff that we did from back then or get a bunch of live costume, action fairy tales. Yeah. Mm. And a bunch of superheroes. Exactly. Well, you know, Star Wars, Marvel, fairy tales. That's three live action franchises. They're making all this money. They can afford some flops, man. Well, Make some risks. That's what has been said. <laughs> yeah. That they, they, the loss won't really matter to them because they've got Ant Man and Inside Out in the next two months as, a, as more or less back to back. Yeah. So yeah. Plus another Pixar film before the end of the year. And then Star Wars. Yeah, I think they'll be okay somehow. They'll manage. They'll be okay. And there's always that Saving Mr. Banks style sleeper drama that they shove out for, for Oscar season. Yeah. The kind. They, they stick it out towards the end of the year. Well, they, they show it to the press at the end of the year and then they release it after Christmas. Have they, have they got something else like that towards the end of the year? There'll be something. There always is. Remember. Yeah. And every then, year. Then, of course, there's the ones they don't want to talk about, like Million Dollar Arm and things like that. Oh, I like Million Dollar Arm. I, I, I know you I do. was an advocate of it. So, one final piece of film news, because this one just intrigued the hell out of me. Go on. Right. Thanks to a new deal with Amazon, it looks like there is now funding and an acquisition deal for the long, long gestating Terry Gilliam project, The oh, Man no. Who Killed Don <laughs> Quixote. Now, Case, I'm presuming mm. I need, don't need to introduce this to you, but do you I'm want to do, do you want to describe the, the the whole thing here? What is <laughs> the man who killed Don Quixote, and why is this interesting news? Well, I know that Terry Gilliam has been trying to make it since he was about six. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <That's funny, yeah. laughs> this movie has been stopped and started so many times that it yeah. had become a running joke. It was even shooting at one point. It was even in production. It was even shooting. And there's a documentary about it. I think it's... Is it called The Death of... I think I think it is. Yeah, I think it's called The Death of Don Quixote. Don Quixote. It wound up having its own documentary about the failed production process. Yeah. It, it stopped and started at least five times that I know of. Mm. It did have Johnny Depp attached at one point, didn't it? It did, yeah. It's now Jack O'Connell and Will, mm. uh, and John Hurt. Oh, really? So John Hurt is, is Don cool. Quixote. And this is about a time-travelling salesman who encounters Don Quixote and then becomes involved in... Yeah, so... Yeah. Again, I will believe this when I when see, see it, it yeah. because it, it's been too many times now. I, I, I've been I've been jaded and burnt <laughs> enough. Call me when there's a trailer. <laughs> so onto the reviews then. So shall we shall we start with the, well, say start with we start and finish with the biggie this week. The biggie, then. yeah. So it's of course Jurassic World. Mm. If you're unfamiliar with the plot from the mass marketing campaign, well, the poster <laughs> tagline sums it up. Park is open. The park is open. Mm. So twenty years after the events of Jurassic Park, in which John Hammond's experiment went a little bit wrong, a little bit awry, a little bit little wrong, bit. Jurassic Park is now open under the new branding of Jurassic World. It mm. is a Disney esque, Disneyland esque theme park filled with living attractions, i.e., dinosaurs. Yeah. But but of course, as with everything in our culture, it's not really going to entertain people for very long. Audiences, it seems, are quite fickle. Hmm. So, of course, 
why not go a little bigger, a little better, and a little meaner with the sequel and create your own dinosaur? So, InGen and Masrani Genetics, I believe they're called, yeah. the company that, that now run Jurassic World... They've taken on the mantle. They've taken on the mantle. Mm. They decide to genetically create their own dinosaur, named the Indominus Rex. But no sooner can you say <laughs> chaos theory than, <laughs> uh, than the Indominus Rex quickly escapes captivity and goes on a killing spree through the park, leaving the staff of Jurassic World standing is the only thing between the Indominus Rex and 20,000 visitors. Here is a clip of the head of Maserani Genetics, played by Irfan Khan, and his first uh, encounter with having been shown the Indominus Rex. Was white. You know, tournament was white. Think it'll scare the kids? The kids? This will give the parents nightmares. Is that good? It's fantastic. Irfan Khan and Bryce Dallas Howard there with the Indominus Rex, which mm. it is a white dinosaur, but that's not really something that's played throughout the throughout the film. It, it looks it's white not. in that one scene, but it doesn't really look like a white coloured dinosaur. Well, there is there's a big part of oh, his there's, there's, genetic makeup which I'm not gonna. There's there's, yeah. a, there's a bit of mystery to it, but it but it works. Yeah, right. So of course, this year has been all about fan bases and returning uh, franchises and mm, Mad Max. Uh, but Mad Max for <laughs> one thing. But in terms of huge fan bases, everyone's been everyone's had their eye on Star Wars at the end of the year mm. to the extent that Jurassic Park was able to be more or less overlooked. It kind of came out nearly under the radar. Hmm. And it's only in the last sort of few weeks that Jurassic World really ramped up the market. It's had a campaign. real huge campaign, hasn't it, it? It got a real surge a few weeks ago. So all hmm. of a sudden, it's Jurassic Park, and clearly the fan base is there, and they are as ravenous as the Star Wars fans because the one thing everyone overlooked <clears throat> was the fact that to an entire generation, which is namely yours and mine, case hmm. you know people who are in their twenties and thirties, Jurassic Park is the film of our childhood Absolutely. that we look back on. You know, that we look back on that theatrical experience with the sort of reverence that our parents' generation had for Jaws and Star Wars. Yeah, well, I think I might have said this on a previous show. I saw this film in the cinema when I was three or four years old. You did, because you made me feel really old. <laughs> yes, I, I did. I, I, was, I was ten. Yeah, so it certainly is. It's, it is my, my Jaws, if you like it. Well, that's the thing. Because of that nostalgia factor as well, that seems to have been quite cleverly incorporated into the film. Mm. And it's, it's really at the core of Jurassic World. This is a film which very much gets... We are not the first ones to the gate. This has been done before. We need to be very aware of that. We need to play on that. We need mm. to be quite clever about how they do it. And for the most part, I think they're quite successful in that. Mm. The film is about nostalgia. It is about audience expectation. Very much about audience expectation in terms of its concept. And it is all about you know, how playing to, playing to appeasing an audience can ultimately go completely wrong. And, which I think is quite a clever thing for a you know, tentpole blockbuster summer picture. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Jake Johnson gets the most meta oh God, yes. monologue, doesn't he? Definitely. Very much yeah. so. Um, so, I mean, the, the one thing that the Jurassic Park sequels taught us is that um, basically it, the idea of a truly worthy Jurassic Park sequel seems to be something that's just elusive to Hollywood. They just can't seem to get it right. They had two attempts, one by Spielberg himself, and they still could not recapture the magic of the first Jurassic Park. It just seemed to completely escape them. Mm. And yet, here is a film that has come out of the blue, you know, a de- nearly a decade since Jurassic Park 3? Oh, it? no, it's over, isn't it? It's, it's over a decade. It's, it's like 13 or 14 years or something. It's 14 it's four, years. It's 14 years, yeah. 14 years since Jurassic Park 3. And Colin Trevorrow, this is yeah. his first step at a big budget. He did Safety film. Not Guaranteed a couple of years ago, exactly. which I really liked. I was half and half on it, but uh, this really? is his first big budget thing. And do you know what? He's definitely got the chops for it. I have a bit of a theory about it, and it actually links into Star Wars. Go on. A little bit. Um, who was it was saying? It was Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill was saying that uh, this is the first Star Wars film that is truly made by a Star Wars fan. By I've like, heard that, yeah. Yeah, by like a proper a proper fan who was it was like a child when it came out. And I kind of have this with Colin Trevor. So I, he I suspect that as well. It would have yeah. been like ten or just over like ten fifteen maybe when 
when well, that came out. And that's the thing, because what he's done with it, because of his ability to balance character and action and, and to manage the sort of character-based comedy in between just spectacularly large action mm. set pieces, um, what he's come up with is the first truly great Jurassic Park sequel. Mm. This is the first Jurassic mm. Park sequel which actually can sit side-by-side side with the 1993 Spielberg original. Yeah. For me, I, I think genuinely... It, it definitely holds its own, I think, as well as paying, paying homage. But quite cleverly as well. Cleverly so, yeah. Because all the little nods and winks to the original Jurassic Park, they're all there if you want to see them. But if you don't, they're not going to bother you. You pass them over, yeah. You pass them over. There is, I, I, I will just say that there is a really, really well done background gag involving Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. That if you see it, you will laugh yourself senseless several times throughout the movie. If you don't see it, though, it's not going to keep you, not going to keep you up at night. But, I think it's uh, hard not to see it, to be honest. I, I've spoken to people who have not seen it. Really? I just didn't do, saw the movie, but just didn't see just this didn't guy. See I had to point out, and one person went, oh, oh, yeah, is that what that was? I did wonder. Within the first five minutes of Jurassic World, I saw about ten references to the first film. <laughs> I couldn't stop seeing them. Well, so let's talk about the cast, then. I think yeah. uh, Chris Pratt, who's continuing his brand building here, because mm. it just seems like Chris Pratt is building the Chris Pratt brand at this point. Yeah, definitely. He's got that like all American he's he's like a he's like a cross between Bruce Springsteen and Indiana Jones. No, so there is a very Harrison Ford like quality. Yeah. In terms of his character, it seems to be sort of a proto Quint as well from Jaws. Yeah, absolutely. There's very much Quint like quality to him, but you know, younger and more Harrison Ford esque. Bigger arms. Bigger arms. Bigger, arms. <laughs> bigger teeth, bigger arms. That's bigger what teeth, bigger arms. That's what the tagline should have been. Bigger smile, and thanks to the uh, teal and uh, orange tint the film strangely has. Uh, also, a weird amount of fake tan. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't figure that one out. That's the only thing. So, on to the... Uh, sorry, carrying on with the performances for a moment. His uh, Owen Grady <clears throat> is, for my money, the first engaging uh, lead in a Jurassic Park movie since Sam Neill in the first one. Yeah. Because I would argue that Jeff Goldblum is wasted in the second movie. He doesn't get an awful lot to do. Well, it's not really like Ian Malcolm, I don't think. It's I feel not, like it's, it's not... Character. It's a different character. A very different character. Yeah. Third movie... Let's just ignore it entirely. Because Talking Raptor. Yeah, yeah. Even Sam Neill's Alan. phone here. <laughs> Alan. Alan. <laughs> Nobody wants to think about the Talking Raptor or no. the gymnastic Raptor fight in the second one. Oh, God. Yeah, let's let's ignore that. Uh, incidentally, speaking of the gymnastic Raptor fight <clears throat> in Lost World, <clears throat> it should be pointed out this is the first Jurassic Park movie ever to feature non-annoying children. Yeah, so they do a good job. They do. They do a good job. I mean, let's let's try and forget about Lex and Tim, whoever the little girl was in the second movie, and uh, oh god, what was his name in the third one? They shout. Oh, the his, one that goes. They shout his. They shout yeah. his name out on a megaphone. I I can't remember the life but of me. Sam. Let's call him Sam. Let's call him, let's Sam. Call him Sam. He's Sam. It's generic child name. So um, on to Bryce Dallas Howard though, as the female lead of the movie now. I do think she is very, very badly served for the first half of the movie. I think it is very much a cut and paste of absent parent cliches from 90s family movies. Mm. You know the old, oh, I'm too busy with work for my children, even though they're not her children. But yeah. it's that, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm career focused. I don't have time for anything. I, I don't do dating. It's that character from mm. every 90s family movie. It's the mum character. Yeah. From it. And then... Second half of the movie, when they actually give her something to do, when she actually becomes involved in the actual concept, the run and chase stuff, they start to evolve the character actually quite admirably. Mm. But the problem is they've wasted half of the opportunity, I think, by that point. There is a bit where she even starts to dress like Laura Dern. She, there is a she nice like rips sequence. Her, rips yeah. her shirt and ties it up, just like Laura Dern. But, uh, yeah, I do think Bryce Dallas Howard is a very engaging lead. I just think I think it's the writing of the first half that just doesn't serve her that well. Uh, in terms of the rest of the cast, Irfan Khan, not enough of him, but he's very good for what he's in there. Mm. Jake Johnson, I think, is great, as the, you he's said, very, the, good, very yeah. meta. Uh, <clears throat> what are we going to call him? Control room technician? Control room tech, yeah. Control room technician. Um, Vincent D'Onofrio. We should talk about him. Mm. Now, very, very weak link, I thought. I really, I really like him. Not I, the yeah, the performance. I, I just don't think that... I, you can't militarise a dinosaur. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> not, that's not, a, not even in this fantastical world. <laughs> no, but that's the thing, though. His character is literally... There's no there's no middle ground with the character. There's, there's no niceness. His character literally shows us, Hey, how you doing? I want to militarise dinosaurs. You're like, we've been watching this for two minutes. Do Really? We're starting with this already? Hey, I want to militarise dinosaurs. You're like, okay, hi, Vince. He's like, yeah, hi, Chris. Hey, you want to militarise dinosaurs? Yeah, we know, you said. Yeah, we said. Do you want a coffee? He says, no, no, I want to militarise dinosaurs. We know. We know, Vince. Please. Talk about something else. 
And then, you know, you'll get a text message and it's Vince. It's, yeah. Hey, I want to miltrose dinosaurs. dinosaurs. That's his character. That's it, yeah. <laughs> That's it. He has no kind of progression. <laughs> and then, you know, about half an hour in, the Indominus Rex is loose and he's like, phones up. Like, hey, there's a dinosaur loose in the pot. I want to militarize dinosaurs. Yeah, we <laughs> yeah. know, Vince. We know. You can see it coming. <laughs> we know. You've mentioned yeah. it a few times. We get it. You want to militarize dinosaurs. Um, so, uh, Owen Grady, Chris Pratt's character. Yeah. Okay, so um, I think his character's good. I think he's, yeah, I think he's good in it. Um, so, all right, let me just get this completely straight. He was in the Navy, wasn't he? Was, yes, he was. And now he trains raptors. <laughs> um, we would presume he was training dolphins when he was in the Navy. Let's just yeah, assume that, that. Let's assume that. Was, was he militarizing dolphins? <laughs> <laughs> You say that they have militarized dolphins as yeah, bomb know, detection things, haven't yeah. they? So, right. So visually, though, um, oh, we should mention BD Wong as well. Oh nice, yeah, Doctor Wu. Very creepy little extended mm. cameo, but it is all set up for a sequel. Um, Colin Trevorrow, though, the director, he makes a very solid stand-in. I think as a pseudo Spielberg. Yeah, definitely. And and the, he seems to understand the Spielbergian quality that made the first film so good. Mm. Um, his visual style, it does flow. It has a very adventurous, wondrous tone to it, I think. And he captures, particularly in how he unveils the partridge, the actual first shot of the unveiling of the park, which is through a set of blinds, uh, by yeah. opening a pair of, of double door, blind, blinded double doors. Yeah. It kind of ramps up with the music. Ramps it up with the music it, yeah. and unveils it in just the right way. It is yeah. the perfect reintroduction <laughs> of Jurassic World. And the just the, the, the way we are just shown the park mm. has a very, very good sense of scope. I did worry that they'd actually over-expanded the size of the location in terms of the marketing beforehand. But when you watch the film, it does have a very... very well thought out sense of place hmm. but uh, so um, we should talk about uh, Michael Giacchino's score as well which that you're quite a fan of well I'm a great fan of his anyway but he's in some of my favourite scores of all time um, but yeah I'm just going to bring up the track listing oh god you're a big fan <laughs> oh. of his because he does blend the classic themes with some <clears throat> new quite quite wondrous stuff of his own. yeah definitely like, there was no way that this film could have made and not have nods to the classics. It could not like show the park and not have that classic music, that classic theme. That classic John Williams score. Yeah, so he incorporates that very, very well, the way that he did in um, uh, the Star Trek films. Very much so. But you're yeah. a fan of the track listing names more than anything else. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just pulling it up. Right <laughs> you're pulling it okay, up. Okay, so he has a fantastic habit of... Uh, puns. Of puns. And I, I do love a good pun. You do, you pun. do. Well, it's like, I told you about his, his Star Trek theme. It's called Enterprising Young Men. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it gives you a vague idea. Okay, so uh, track one is uh, Barry the Hatchling. <laughs> <laughs> Moving down, uh, track uh, track six. Uh, <laughs> it's a track called Owing You Nothing. Oh, dear God. Owing You Nothing. Uh, Indominus Rex, as in, as in Wreck-It Ralph. Oh, oh, okay. Indominus actually Rex things. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Oh, there's some, yeah, some classic ones. Oh, dear God. So, um, but it's not just the puns. <laughs> oh, the, it's not, no, the score it really builds up a sense of, like, terror in places where you need it. I mean, in terms, in terms of the overall score, I don't quite think it reaches John Williams high, but I think no. it comes pretty damn close. I would say it's as close as you could make it, I think, without getting John Williams. Well, that's it. But, uh, I mean, uh, visually as well, though, it is worth pointing out, the whole film fits the IMAX ratio, for a, just for a change. Oh, yeah, that, just was, for a that change, was great. The film is in IMAX ratio. There's no angle hopping mm. on this. Um, and it does, it do see this on the biggest screen possible. But if, God forbid, there's a way to see it in IMAX 2D, please take it. Uh, because mm. the 3D is so redundant to this. It's not, it's not needed, needed no. at all. There's, nothing is really done in the 3D, despite the fact that there's a lot of opportunity. It's not like San Andreas. It's oh. not like San Andreas at all. <laughs> there's a helicopter falling directly on me. <laughs> so, let's rebuild. Anyway, so um, I just say, in closing, this is the first truly great Jurassic Park mm. sequel. I, for my money, anyway. I don't know if you agree with that. The first truly great one. There's a lot to love there. Um, it's about as successful a franchise reboot as a, as anyone could possibly hope for. Yeah, I think he's done a fantastic job. Um, I, I don't know if he has really enjoyed being part of the franchise. I think if he has, I feel like he's going to be courted for something else. I have a theory. Star Wars is calling. <sighs> See you later, Josh. Star Wars, Star Wars is calling. Uh... Well, they've, they've got that, that, that now vacant slot, haven't well, they? Have Star, um... Star Wars is going to be calling Colin Trevorrow. Indiana Jones is going to be calling Chris Pratt. I'm just saying that's it. Happen. But it's it's the people that are behind Jurassic World. Obviously, Spielberg and, well, yeah. and Amber and stuff. But... Um, is is uh, Kathleen Kennedy part of Jurassic World still? Or I'm not sure. I think she's. Oh, part is, it, of... is it Frank Frank Marshall? 
I have no idea. Anyway, we're all pals. So. All, I, all I know is Phil Tippett is still the dino supervisor uh, on Jurassic World. And I'm sorry, Phil, but you're really you got you got to get somebody else. you got to get someone else. Look, look, there was raptors in the Pandora, Phil. Raptors in the branch of Pandora and a Starbucks. This was not amateur hour. Right, get your so, act together, Phil. Get your act together, Phil. And Waterloo. There were raptors in Waterloo, Phil. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> right, so that, that actually was in the real world and not on screen. Yeah. Uh, right, so I think we're going to give that film of the week by default because it's the only major release. But if we week. had five other films, that probably... Probably would. Probably would get it as well. So, um, next week, of course, we've got some interesting ones to look forward to. Uh, we've got, uh, of course... <laughs> Entourage is upon us. Uh, Mr. Holmes uh, in McKellen's uh, turn as the uh, legendary detective in Bill Condon's drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, Natural Resistance, uh, which I know nothing of. The Burning, Accidental Love, and the latest Nicholas Sparks adaptation. Because apparently <laughs> you someone wait. up there hates me. Uh, the Longest Ride, starring Britt Robertson and Scott Eastwood. Mm. Scott Eastwood. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's getting a name. He's going to be himself. in uh, Suicide Squad. He's going to he? be in Suicide yeah. Squad. Yeah. So we've got uh, all of that to come and more next week off screen. This has been a Candy Store production for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been uh, Case Allen. And we'll be back next week. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Life uh, finds a way.